open our Bibles up to Isaiah 40, verse 31. Isaiah 40, verse 31.
Well, on that Thursday morning, as we were talking about waiting, and I'm going to get back to Isaiah 40 here in just a minute, I want to give you some examples. Uh, people began to come through my heart, people from Scripture. I began to think about Abraham and Sarah and how God called Abram to leave Ur of the Chaldees to go to a land that he would show him. So he, his father, his nephew, his wife, all went and spent some time in a place called Haran. Uh, his dad would pass away there. Uh, his uh, brother would also pass away there. And uh, then him and Lot and Sarah, his wife, would go into what we know of as the land of Canaan, the promised land. It was called the promised land because God promised Abraham when he was 75 years of age that that land would be given to him and his descendants. God promised him that uh, his descendants would outnumber the stars, the sky and the sand on the seashore. Made a great promise. One day this land will be all yours and your descendants. Abraham waited and waited and waited and waited believing God's promise. About 11 years into his waiting, uh, Sarah says, here, just take my maidservant Hagar. God said, you're going to have children. It's not happening through me. Here I am. At that time, Hagar would have been about 75 because she was 65 when the promise was made. She's about 75 years of age. She's saying, I just don't think it's coming through me. But he said, you're going to have children. So she gives over Hagar and a little boy named Ishmael will be born. And they will keep waiting. God will say, it's not going to be Ishmael. This is not who I'm going to bring my promise through. And so they wait and wait and wait. And about 13 years later, <clears throat> Sarah becomes pregnant. She is 90 years old when she becomes pregnant and has her child. 90 years old. And, and don't, don't be mistaken. I hear the groaning, and I'm glad you are. <laughs> Some people want to say, well, 90 back then isn't the same as 90 now. It's, no, Abraham and Sarah said, oh, it's 90. <laughs> Abraham goes, are you serious, God? Are you really going to give a son to a man who's 100? And, you know, she's way past the age of giving birth. And even at 75 and 85, she's already saying, are you serious? This is not going to happen. And she's, she's wondering. There was a waiting that took place a waiting that went beyond what they thought was even possible. God caused them to wait into a very uncomfortable place, a place where they were in the realm of, the realm of impossibility. That's how long he had them wait. And I find that to be the case a lot when God has us wait. He allows us to hang on until it seems like he's forgotten us. Till it seems like what we thought we heard, what we thought we understood, maybe we misunderstood because it hasn't happened. 
I've found that in my own life, and I find it in the these stories that I'm sharing with you in Scripture. Sarah finally has this child, and after her and Abraham had waited a total of 25 years, that's waiting on the Lord. Waiting tests our faith. It challenges it. Do we really believe that what God said He will do? Even when it doesn't come in a timely manner, even when it doesn't come when we think it should come. So it really does test our faith. Waiting on God is hard. It is not easy. It is challenging. Because we can't see. We don't, we don't know except in our heart, except on His promise. It's the only way we know. But other than that, many times when we're waiting on God, we don't know when the time is that it will happen. We don't know if it's going to come in a year or 10 years or 25 years. And that's what makes waiting so hard is that indefinite end. I'm going to roll through a few more. Jacob, son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. He worked for 14 years for his two wives. First seven years he worked to get Rachel, then he was tricked and given Leah. Worked another seven years to get Rachel, the one he really wanted. Then he worked another six years for his father-in-law, Laban. A total of 20 years he spent there. That last six he worked to get his flocks so he could provide for his family. 20 years. And then God spoke and said, go back to the land that I promised to your grandfather and your father. The land I told you I would bring you back to. He went away just to escape his brother Esau's wrath. He went away for just a short time, he thought. Went away to get him a wife. Hoping to come back soon. Twenty years later, he comes back to the land. It's waiting on the Lord. Rachel, his wife that he loved, waited for years to have a child. The other wife, her sister Leah, had six sons and a daughter and was just having babies like crazy. She gives her maidservant Bilhah over and Bilhah's having babies and Leah gives her maidservant Zilpah over and Zilpah's having babies. Everybody's having babies but Rachel. Rachel is broken hearted as she waits and waits and waits and waits. And then one day God blesses her and allows her to have a child. Yeah. That child that she's going to have his name is Joseph. She had to wait a long time, but the child that she has is going to be a child that will save hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives. Joseph, when he was 17, has a dream, a couple of them, where his brothers will bow down to him, his father and mother will bow down to him, and it causes his brothers and his family to hate him, so much so that they throw him in a pit and sell him off to some Ishmaelites on their way to Egypt. and He'll be sold into slavery to a man named Potiphar, who is the chief of the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. He'll prosper there in that time, all the while dealing with the betrayal of his own brothers, being sold as a slave. He's waiting. Then he gets falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he was trying to 
have sex with her when the truth was she was pursuing him. His master, Potiphar, will have him thrown in prison. And he will wait for years in prison. Years he will wait. Do you know that when he's sitting in that pit waiting to find out what his brothers are going to do to him, he doesn't know what his end will be. When he's on that caravan to Egypt, he doesn't know what his end will be. When he's sold to Potiphar, he doesn't know what his end will be. When he's in prison, one, two, three, four, five, seven years, he doesn't know. Will he be there the rest of his life? He has no idea what God has planned for him. He has a simple dream that says his brothers will bow down to him. His father and mother will bow down to him. That's all he has. He doesn't know what that means. He doesn't know when it will happen or what it will look like. And then one day, remember at 17 he had the dream. 13 years later when he's 30, he's called to go and interpret a dream for Pharaoh. And in minutes, he's interpreting a dream and giving counsel to Pharaoh. You need to find a wise and discerning man to store grain, to prepare for the great drought that will come after the seven years of abundance. And Pharaoh says, after talking to his counselors, we know of no man wiser or more discerning than you, Joseph. And he will call him up to be second over all of Egypt. He'll take his ring off his finger and place it on Joseph's. And Joseph will have more authority than any human outside of Pharaoh. Joseph waited on the Lord. It was difficult. It was long. He was betrayed by his family. He was hated. He was made a slave. He was made a prisoner. It looked like life was getting worse, not better. But God was going to fulfill what God promised. Amen. The waiting period in our lives is not always easy. It wasn't easy for Abraham and Sarah waiting 25 years. It wasn't easy for Rachel waiting. It wasn't easy for Joseph waiting. It was difficult. But God carries out what he's going to carry out. And many times in the waiting He's not only stretching our faith, growing our faith, but many times he is developing us, our character, humbling us. As we're going to see going through more characters. Job is famous for losing everything. He was a righteous man. You see, you don't have to be a sinner to lose everything. Joseph was doing everything that he knew to do, to worship God and serve God. God had declared that he was a righteous man. And he lost everything. All of his children, home, eventually his wife, all of his cattle, all of his servants. He even lost his health. He sat in a heap of ash, scraping at his sores, waiting. All the while, Passages tell us in Job that he did not curse God. Amen. Even though his wife said, just curse God and die, he wouldn't do it. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He didn't understand God. 
Didn't understand what God was doing, why God was allowing, what he was allowing. And you can hear that if you read the book of Job. Job is human. Though he's a righteous man, he is confounded with why God would allow all of these terrible things to happen to him. He does not understand, and there's no help from his friends, because they're saying, well, surely you have sinned, Job. That's the only reason God allows this. You see, God was doing something in Job's life. That something required time. And it required God having at least the appearance of having left Job, having pulled back from Job, of having abandoned him. But that, that process, that environment, was a stage being set for some great, deep, deep work in Job. I promise you this, Job mounted up with wings like eagles when he came through the other side. Now, he wasn't soaring on wings of eagles when he sat there in that ash heap. But when God doubled everything he had lost, I promise you this, whether it was doubled or it wasn't, Job's faith was increased greatly. And his fear of the Lord was increased greatly. His honor and respect and submission to God was increased greatly. If he was a righteous man before, he was a much more righteous man after. And you see that with Abraham. He's known as the father of faith. Why? Because he waited, holding on to God's promise for 25 years. Holding on to God's promise for that son. And believing God's promise all the way to his death. That one day his descendants would have that land. He told his son Isaac that God's going to give us this land. And it would pass, be passed down and passed down and passed down. And God would renew that covenant with Isaac and renew it with Jacob. Joseph knew about it when he went into Egypt. Because when he died, he said, when, when we as a nation leave Egypt and go into that land, you take my bones with you. Joseph knew when he died, one day we're going to that land. He believed, though he didn't see it. Moses. Moses was 40 years old whenever he killed an Egyptian trying to protect one of his Hebrew brothers. When he heard that people knew about what he did, he fled to a land called Midian. He would spend 40 more years in Midian. Now I want you to Think about this. Moses was raised up in Pharaoh's house. Remember when he was a baby, he was placed in a basket found by Potiphar's, uh, by Pharaoh's uh, daughter. Raised up. He was trained in all the education, all the ways of the Egyptians. He was trained militarily and had the finest education. He had potential for political advancement, great wealth, Great ease. It was royalty. And then he finds himself, just a little after the age of 40, tending sheep in a foreign land for his new father-in-law. For 40 years he tends sheep for his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Forty years. Don't you think that he thought, well, my best days are behind me now. 
I, I once was in Pharaoh's house. I once had all these things, the training, the education, all these things, but I messed up. Killed a man. Had to leave all that behind. He has no idea what's coming. He's waiting. When he's 80 years old, God will call him to go back to Pharaoh to deliver his people. At the age of 80. You see, just like with Abraham and Sarah, when you think your days are about done, God might be just about to start doing what he's promised. When we think all hope is lost, when we think there's no possibility that what was supposed to happen is still going to happen, that's about the time God usually steps in. Moses was 80 when he went back and he delivers the people out of Egypt and then they'll wander in the desert for another 40 years up to the time that Moses is 120 and that's when he dies. And Joshua will lead them into the land. But before that happens, at the beginning of that 40 years, before the wandering begins, I'm going to move to our next character in Scripture, Joshua and Caleb, his friend. There were 12 spies sent into the land right after they left Egypt. They went right to the promised land. Ten, Twelve spies were sent in. Ten come back with a bad report. But Joshua and Caleb said, we can take them. Why? Because they believed God. They believed the promise. That land right there was promised to our great, 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 great grandfather Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to all of their descendants. That land is ours. God has worked a miracle to deliver us from Egypt. He's divided a Red Sea. He's fed us with quail and manna and gave water out of rocks. He's, he's brought us right up to the border. What are these giants to us? But the majority wins over the people. Can you imagine how frustrating it was for Joshua and Caleb to have to wander around in a desert for 40 years? 40 years of their lives, 40 years of their greater strength and youth was wasted wandering around in a desert knowing the land God promised is just right over there. That would have been hard not to be bitter been hard to not wonder if you'll ever get into the land. Because once again God doesn't say, now in 40 years I'll let you go in. No, he just says, just wonder. God knows that when the generation of unbelievers dies off, the new generation will go in. But Joshua and Caleb don't know that. Moses doesn't even know that. They're just holding on to God. That's waiting on the Lord. It's holding on to God because you don't know anything else to do. You don't know when the end of your storm is coming, when the end of your trial is coming. You don't know when the prayer you've been pleading for an answer on is going to happen and take place. So you just hold on to God and you hold on to His promise not knowing when or how or what it will look like. That's waiting on God. Joshua and Caleb the only two of those spies from their generation that got to enter in the promised land. Joshua would lead them. Caleb would wipe out enormous giants. These men got to ex 
experienced the power of God on their lives. They got to see great victories, the walls of Jericho collapsing in, and giants that 40 years ago their people wouldn't go in to face. They got to not only face them, but see the power of God make them fall. See, they that wait on the Lord, they will gain new strength. Yeah. Caleb and Joshua, I, I, I don't know that my other Bible will have jotted things down. Um, I forgot how old Caleb was. I believe that he was over a hundred when he was killing giants. He was he was an old fellow. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I, I, I remember when I preached on giants a number of years ago, I, I remember how excited I was. When you read this part of the scripture and you read Caleb, it's like uh, he's, he's like going, me, 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 me. Can I take Hebron? And Hebron was a city where the sons of Anak had come out of. It, it, it had a, a former name, Kiriath Arba. Known for giants, big giants. Goliath was a short giant. These were big, tall giants. These were probably 13 feet, 14 feet. We know because of Og of Bashan. His bed was 13 feet, 6 inches long, made of iron, and it was 6 feet wide, and that is in the scripture. So we know the giants were of some size back then. Caleb says, I want them. And he's an old guy. He says, my age ain't going to stop nothing, because it isn't about... What this body has is about the Lord who promised me that city, yeah. promised me this land. He waited a long time, but because he waited on the Lord, he gained new strength. He mounted up with wings like eagles. He ran and did not get tired. He walked and he did not become weary. But the waiting is hard. When you get to the other side, when you get to the end, there's this invigoration, this this light, this power, this surge that comes over you that now it's coming. You know how good Sarah felt when she knew she was going to have that baby? How wonderful it was when each one of these people we were talking about saw the answer, knew it was time. Oh, this is what God was doing. When Moses was seeing the plague, the plague, the plagues coming one after another, when he sees the sea divide and they're walking across on dry land, do you think he was still living and thinking and, 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 and meditating on having been a shepherd for 40 years? Oh, no. His shepherding days were long in the past. He is walking in the power of the Most High God. And he's over 80 years old. He's walking in the power of the Most High God. Waiting on the Lord is hard. Test our faith. It's, it's very difficult. But church, it's worth it. Amen. It's worth it on every account. Hannah was a woman. You'll find her story in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Her husband had two wives. And she was one of them. The other wife was having lots of babies, kind of like with Rachel and Leah. Hannah prayed and prayed for years to be able to have a baby. Her womb was closed, the scripture says. But then one, God, one day God opened her womb. She had a child. Now, while she was waiting for that child, the other wife, 
every year when they would go to the temple to worship, the other wife would mock her, would provoke her, to the point that Hannah would cry. She would just cry over not having a child and the, the hatefulness and cruelty of the other wife toward her. She suffered for years waiting on the Lord, waiting for God to answer her prayer and give her a child. Did she know that a child was going to come? No. But she was asking. She was praying. She was waiting. Do you know what comes out of Hannah when she has that baby? A little boy named Samuel. If you don't know who Samuel is, Samuel is one of the great prophets of the nation of Israel. Samuel will anoint the first king of Israel's soul. He will anoint a boy named David to become king, and he will take down giants and wipe out the Philistines. That's the Samuel that Hannah waited to have. Waiting on the Lord. <laughs> There can be treasures behind your waiting. <clears throat> waiting on the Lord is where the, you know the blessing is coming on the other side. You know it's from God. When you've had to wait on Him, you know He's bringing it because you can't bring it. Listen, if, if Sarah could have made herself have a baby, she would have. If Rachel could have made herself, she would have. Hannah, she would have. The only reason they're waiting is because it's an impossible thing for them to do on their own. If Moses and Joshua and Caleb could have convinced the rest of those people to take the land the first time, they would have made them, but they couldn't, so they had to wait. That little boy David is anointed as a king, called out of the fields. He's this, they called him a, a small, ruddy boy. Who was a little handsome. All of his brothers were bigger, taller, stronger, older. When Samuel came, because God said, go out of that house, the house of Jesse is going to be the new king. But keep it a secret. He looks at the oldest, he's tall, strong, strapping young fellas. I think that's going to be him, but the Lord says no. He goes to every brother. No, 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 no. He says, Jesse, do you have another son? Because the Lord's saying no to all of these. He says, we got one. He's the young one. He's out tending the sheep. Bring him here. When David shows up, the Spirit of the Lord says, that's him. Now that boy will be anointed by God through his prophet. He will pour oil upon him and anoint him. Do you know what he's anointing him to be? He's anointing him to be the king of Israel. Anointing him to be the king of Israel. The spirit of God will come upon him. And he'll begin to wipe out lions and bears in preparation for Goliath one day. Goliath today is just around the corner. Because he's still a young man. He's still a young man. He's still, by his brothers, considered to be a boy who shouldn't be out at the battleground when he takes down Goliath. He's not old enough to be in the army yet. Now, can you imagine being David? You've been anointed as king. You're wiping out lions and bears. 
You take down a nine foot tall Goliath giant and still you're going back home to tend your father's sheep. You get called up to the king's house to play your harp for him. And you're going, but I thought I was going to be the king. Then you get to join the army. And you start having all these victories in the army and it causes jealousy with your king, Saul. Before long, the king you were serving is out to kill you. Don't you know David was going, but I thought I was going to be king. And he's running for his life in fear and he has to become an outlaw. Though he's a righteous man, he's waiting on the Lord. He's waiting on the Lord. He's been anointed to be the king. Don't you know he had to wonder, when is this coming? How is this coming? Will it come? Is Saul going to kill me? David waits patiently. He has more than one opportunity to kill Saul, who's trying to kill him. But he waits on the Lord. He leaves Saul in the hands of God. He lets God take care of his enemies. Which reminds me of another passage in Scripture on waiting. Proverbs 20, verse 22 says, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Psalm 37, verse 7 through 9 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. You and I may be waiting on God for all different kinds of things. I encourage you, as hard as waiting is, don't give up waiting. God will make it worth it. David becomes a king, the greatest king Israel ever had. And more victories. He was called the friend of God. But he doesn't get to walk in all that until he's about 40. He waited probably more than 20, 25 years before he got to be what he was anointed to be. Waiting on God is very common in Scripture. The nation of Israel waited when they were taken into captivity, Daniel was taken into captivity into Babylon. He was in Babylon for over 70 years. We know right up at that point of 70 years, he remembered what Jeremiah the prophet promised. And he began to pray, God, you said it would be 70 years and you'd bring us back. And he had to wait all that time believing what the prophet said, what God said through the prophet Jeremiah. He was believing God, holding on to the promise that we're going back to Israel. We're going back to Jerusalem. We're going back to that land. He was believing God, but just because he believed the promise didn't mean it was going to speed up the answering. And sometimes I think we wrestle in our minds and in our hearts that if I just had enough faith, it would happen now. 
If I had enough faith, it would happen today. It would happen quick. But that's not the case. We're looking at every great saint, every great man and woman of God who are written down in Scripture because of their faith. And their faith didn't make it speed up. It didn't hurry the process along anymore. Now, faith is not something that makes it go fast. Faith is simply holding on with hope and trust, not knowing how long it will be, not knowing how much suffering you will have to endure, how much loss, and yet still saying he's a good God and I know he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Look, every one of us in this room, God has promised that he will sanctify us, that he will grow us up in his righteousness and mature us in the faith if we are surrendered to Him. That's a promise. It takes time. You don't get saved and become a mature believer by the next Sunday. <laughs> Not even by the next year. Not even by the next five years. Though you can grow a lot in five years. A lot. If you're in the Word and in prayer, God can put you on a fast pace. But maturity, according to Scripture, comes through trials of many kinds. Trials, suffering, struggles, waiting, hardships, failures, needing the grace of God. All of this is the ingredients to grow us as men and women of God, men and women of faith, men and women who believe in the grace of God, men and women who have been broken and crushed and humbled so that there's no pride left, no arrogance left. No haughty spirit saying, I'm this great person, I'm this super religious person, I'm righteous, I'm better than everybody else. But no, he brings us to a place where there's nothing left to boast about in us Amen. but Jesus. Amen. And then we're at the place where we have been given new strength and we mount up with wings like eagles and we run and do not get tired and we walk and we don't faint. You see, that power that is promised to those who wait on the Lord is real. But the waiting period, you don't feel that. The waiting period is the time where there's the crushing, and the breaking, and the preparing. He did it to David to prepare him to be a king. He did it to Joseph to prepare him to lead a nation through great famine. He brought these men, Moses, 40 years away, shepherding sheep. He brought them through times of waiting, suffering, of being imprisoned, being chased, being a criminal in the eyes of the king. And all kinds of terrible hardship was going on in their waiting. It was, it was fatiguing. It was, it was exhausting. It was scary. That's the testing of faith. Amen. But on the other side of the testing is where the blessing begins to be released. It's when you mount up. It's when you begin to walk in what God has called you to walk in. I want to encourage you this morning. If you're in that time of waiting, I, I'm in that time of waiting. I'm praying and praying and praying. And I don't know when the answer is going to come. But I believe God is going to bring it. I'm suffering while I wait. It is hard to wait. I want the answer yesterday. 
I can't make it speed up. I have to remain faithful waiting and praying. If you're in one of those places, or one might be around the corner from you, I hope that you will let these great stories of faith, and by the way, I just cherry-picked the easy ones. There's a lot more. There's a lot more. If you go through the scriptures, you just find figures in the Bible, you're going to see where God made almost every one of them wait on Him. And then He released what He had for them. Would you stand with me this morning?